Uh, we're going to just, just look at Isaiah this evening. So both sessions will be on the book of Isaiah. But uh, the reason we're going to use the whole evening is because I also want to just give us an introduction to uh, what is called prophetism. Really the, the, the theology of the prophets. What what who and what were the prophets? What does it mean to be a prophet? Uh, how, it's a word that we I think we use quite a lot. It's abused quite a lot. So just want to give some background to that first of all before we jump into into Isaiah properly, because we are now coming to the to the prophets. So remember the first five books of the Bible, that's the Torah or the law. And then we went into the historical books, okay, 12 uh, historical books that gave us the history of Israel from Joshua and Judges, and we carried on through there. And then we went into the wisdom literature, five, five books in wisdom literature, and we finished that last week. Now we're coming to the prophets, uh, 12, uh, sorry, 17 books. Five of them are called the, the major prophets, just because they're big, and then the 12 minor prophets. And so that doesn't mean they're less important, but just because they're shorter. So you know, look at the, the, the five major prophets and then the 12 minor prophets. Remember I said if you've been, if you've been with us, yeah, with the historical books, uh, we have sort of a timeline of the history of, of Israel and all the major events and kings and judges, etc., etc. <clears throat> now we're going to come back uh, with the prophets and we're going to slot the prophets in to certain periods of time. So hopefully the prophets will make more sense. So when, when you read the Old Testament, you mustn't read it chronologically. Okay? It's not, well, read it as though it's written chronologically. It's not. And that's where a lot of confusion comes in. Um, so we're going to try and give the dates for the prophets. When were they writing? What was going on at the time? And hopefully you'll remember a little bit from Kings and Chronicles. And say, oh, okay, I remember that. I remember, okay, so so-and-so was ruling and reigning. I remember the, the, um, the exile. And so it makes a lot more sense when you can, when you can place it in its, in its context. Okay, so uh, the prophets, the Navi, so remember uh, Tanakh is the, uh, the Hebrew word for the Old Testament, remember, so it's the Torah, the Nevi'im, and then the Ketuvim, so the law or instruction, the prophets, and then the writing, so a Navi, sometimes you'll spelled like that, it's a B, but it's pronounced as a V. Uh, Navi is the, the Hebrew word for a prophet. There are other words that are used, for example, uh, a seer, well, that's English translation, so someone who, who sees a seer, uh, and uh, Jose, or a, a observer. Okay. But this is the most 
common word. Even the <clears throat> the books are called the, the Nevi'im. Um, within that, we have the what we call the pre-classical prophets, and then the classical prophets. And uh, we are now at the classical prophets. The pre-classical prophets were uh, even people like David. David was a prophet. Remember that and. Um, Joshua, uh, sorry, um, Elijah, Elisha, they were pre-classical prophets. They're coming now to, sometimes they call the former and the later and the latter prophets, but, um, or the writing prophets. These are especially the writing prophets. Now, when we say that, it's important to say, <clears throat> uh, we don't know if Isaiah, for example, actually wrote down any of this himself. Uh, that was, again, not the way the ancient world really thought about things. Okay, um, the, It's more that the prophets would say things, they would speak, and, and scribes would take it down and say, these are the writing, these are the words of Isaiah. Okay, And they wouldn't have had a book. So we say the book of Isaiah. Again, they wouldn't have thought like that. Uh, there would be collections of of the sayings of the prophets, okay? Um, obviously under a heading like Isaiah, but they didn't have it as a book uh, the way we have it. In fact, uh, we're jumping ahead a bit, but it's probably an appropriate time. How did they, how did they um, uh, read the writings? Did they have a Bible like this? Scrolls. So they had scrolls and they were sort of a certain length. Okay. So um, you couldn't have sort of just a, a massive scroll you know, to be too cumbersome and they'd have to open it up and find the place. So they had, there was a sort of a, a certain length for the scroll. So the book of Isaiah is divided up into eight scrolls. There are eight scrolls. Okay. And um, some of those breaks are are quite important, <clears throat> or actually probably all of them, they're, they're quite important for the, the understanding of it. Okay, so, um, prophets, we saw when we did Exodus, you remember that Moses, when the Lord called him, what did he not want to do? What did he refuse to do? To speak. Remember that? He refused to speak and God was angry with him and he told him, you know, I made the, the tongue and Moses was very, very stubborn. And so the Lord says, okay, here comes your brother Aaron and he gives this description. He says, you know, you will be as God to Aaron and then he will speak what you tell him to say. And so really Aaron becomes sort of a prophet of Moses. So the prophets were those who brought God's word to the people. Okay. Uh, they were there not so much, and this is very, very important, uh, because we, uh, people get very excited about this, and there's lots of um, theories and... Uh, 
people just are drawn to it. Understandably, we tend to think of prophets as people who uh, foretell. They tell the future, you know, what's going to happen. Okay? All the things that are going to happen in the world and um, people, you know, we get excited about people like Notre Dame and, you know, he predicted all these things and uh, there's lots, lots about that. But in fact, the prophets very rarely did that. That was not a common, uh, very, not a very common aspect. Uh, we say they were, they, they did more forth telling. So they would forth tell, they would proclaim, thus says the Lord. And they were there to call God's people back to covenantal faithfulness. So remember, God, God calls the nation of Israel to be his people. He delivers them. He takes them to Mount Sinai. He gives them the covenant, Mosaic covenant. Uh, he tells them this is how they are to live. And he tells the kings how they are to live. Remember Deuteronomy 17. These are the commandments. And then God's people go off the rails over and over again. And the prophets would be raised up to call, and specifically the leaders, because the leaders would be the ones that would take the nation away from, from God. And so the prophets were very brave, and they often lost their lives. The book of Hebrews tells us that, because it's, you know, truth to power, okay? <laughs> um, bringing God's truth, confronting the sin and hypocrisy and depravity in the leaders, which is now filtered down into the whole country, and calling them to repent and return back to God's ways. Okay, and so they're very interesting people, very uh, remarkable people, very strange people at times. God calls the prophets. You wouldn't want to be a prophet. Okay, it's not something now. Everyone wants to be a prophet, get a billboard, <laughs> prophet and prophetess, and so not in the Bible. Okay, there's not a cue. To like, I want to be a prophet and have an Armani suit and blah, blah, blah. It was nothing like that. Often they, I uh, remember we saw with Elijah and Elisha, he had his own uniform of like John the Baptist. And um, they, uh, they, they were asked to do some hectic things at times, to walk around naked, to um, cook food using human excrement. Um, they are told to lie on their side in public for many, many days, months, and then to turn over onto the other side. They, are, they are, um, suffer, as I said, terrible things. They're often thrown in jail, thrown into pits, uh, uh, put to death. We believe that Isaiah, this is not in the Bible, uh, the writer of Hebrews says some people were sawn asunder, cut in half. Okay? Jewish tradition says Isaiah was one of those. Okay? And um, So it's a very ancient tradition, so most likely it is true that he, under the reign of Manasseh, after Hezekiah, is, is cut in half. Manasseh is one of the most evil kings that, <coughs> that rules um, in Israel or in Judah. So they suffered terribly. Uh, but there is something about them. Um, they, they, and so I've got a few quotes here that I think are, are, are very, very helpful. This is what a man called Walter Eichrott said. He says, There is not one of them who did not receive this new certainty of God in such a way 
that the whole previous pattern of his life, the thoughts and plans by which he had till now regulated his relationship to the world, was now smashed and replaced by a mighty divine imperative obliging him to undertake something which hitherto he had not even considered as a possibility. Their threatening predictions of the end of the nation and people all stem from the same dominating conviction that the present order is menaced at its very roots by the breaking in of a power hostile to it. So you can see that in some of the prophets we actually have their callings. Um, We have Isaiah's calling, we have Jeremiah's calling. And it's radical, you know. God will tell them, go and speak. Don't be afraid of them, okay. They're not going to listen to you. (laughs) So, you know, there's no promise of success or you're going to be famous or great. It's go and speak. They're going to reject you, but I'll be with you. Um, Jeremiah, when you get to him, he's a weeping prophet. He, He laments. He's called, it seems, as a young man, maybe a teenager, um, but everything changes from the moment they are called. Okay? They, are, they are set apart. Um, Heschel writes, The prophet's word is a scream in the night. While the world is at ease and asleep, the prophet feels the blast from heaven. You can see they're so, totally different. The world is carrying on with its sin and eat, drink, and be merry, and they come in. You know, that's why you get the idea that people would see them as crazy men, okay, as they come in and are crying out, repent, and calling judgment. Um, uh, I, I like the analogy of, of uh, you know, when you walk into to a room or you, you drive through an area where there's a, a stench, okay, after a while, you, 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 get, you get used to it, don't you? Okay. you know, when you're in a room that stinks, and then eventually you, know, you forget about it, and then someone walks in, and they're like, oh, it stinks in here. <laughs> and then uh, you're like, oh, okay. Uh, that's what we're like with sin, but the prophets, they never got over the stench. It was constantly in their nostrils, to use that analogy. They con- it was always there. Okay. Um, and we mustn't get the idea that they were sort of sadists who just loved doing this. They wept. They, it was their people. They, it was their nation. They took no joy in, in, in um, having to do what they, they did. Okay. So... Uh, they're not jumping around to to become prophets. God would call them, though, and uh, even when they wanted to give up and not do it, they they were compelled to do it. So they are um, uh, very powerful, very important. Um, When we go to the New Testament, we'll see we don't believe that they are prophets anymore. We don't see that that continues. Um, and we'll we'll just dis- we'll go through that at that time. So you have to wait till then. Now there were four general elements to the to the prophets' uh, message. Okay, so they did different things. The so one was uh, indictment. So they would proclaim the guilt 
of the nation or of the person, the king. Um, so they would show them why they're guilty. This is what you've done. And they would also proclaim judgment. God is going to judge you for what you have done. Um, they would give instruction. Really, this is the bulk of the prophets, indictment and judgment. Okay. But they would also give instruction on what God wants them to do, what God wants his people to do or the king to do. And then they would also give hope. But the hope is quite interesting because it's not... Um, it's really bad today, guys. God's going to give you a hiding, but don't worry. Tomorrow is going to be great. It's, it's more, it's hope that there will be restoration later after the time of judgment. So it's quite a, it's a strange type of thing because let's say you're going through a difficult time. You know, God is judging you. So, um, He's judging the whole country. And then, and then the prophet comes and says, don't worry, guys. In 500 years' time, it's going to be great. Okay. It's not really a... It's an indicting hope. It's a, it's, yeah, it's... Okay. <laughs> um, but it's push, it pushes outward. And so it pushes to hope for Israel. But then within that, we have messianic hope. The hope of, of Christ, as we'll see. That there is someone coming. Okay, so... These are the, the main elements, um, but there is uh, pretty much, you know, judgment, bad news, condemnation, and consolation. And in fact, the book of Isaiah breaks up into, into those two sections. So if you want a breakdown of Isaiah, um, it is really chapters 1 through 39 are roughly condemnation, and then 40 through 66 are consolation. It doesn't mean there's no consolation in the first 39 chapters and there's no judgment in the last, uh, whatever, 26 chapters. But generally, that's the broad strokes. That's the, that's the picture. Okay, so just to give you an idea of, of the prophets, um, that they were, they were really like the lawyers who would come and... and uh, uh, call Israel and the kings to to repentance to covenantal faithfulness okay and they were rejected and persecuted and often murdered and tortured um, but yet they were they were set apart by God any questions or comments about prophets or prophetism before we... um, yeah when in the timeline Okay, we'll get to that now. Okay. Yeah. And um, sorry, second. So, a, a lot of um, so the, the prophets who exactly like tortured and killed them was it the rulers of Israel at the time or was it the Persians? <coughs> yeah. So it would be it was the the uh, ordinarily it would be the the leaders of Israel, the kings of Israel and Judah. But remember, Daniel is also thrown into the lion's den. Yeah. Um, 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so that also happens as well, but it's not as common. Mm. It's much more common that their own kings will... So these would be the, the bad kings? Yes. yes yeah. <clears throat> um, okay, so let's look at Isaiah. Um, I, we don't know a lot about him, so if you look at... Uh, too much about him. We, we have some tradition about him. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, it says the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So remember, Judah is the southern kingdom. And he is a prophet during the reign of these four kings. Um, as I said earlier, we think that he, he, he lived maybe a year or so into the reign of the next king, into the reign of King Manasseh, and uh, was killed by Manasseh. But that's not in the Bible, so that's not, you know, don't bet your life on that. It's just a tradition, but it's, it's a, an ancient tradition, so it may well be true. <clears throat> but he, he, he's a prophet over the reign of these, these different monarchs. Uh, we... Most scholars say that his, his, uh, the dates, if you want the dates, as Duncan was asking, of his ministry at least, because of his reigns, is sort of 742 to 681 BC. So quite a substantial reign. We're looking at um, 60 years that he's, he's a prophet. Okay, so... Um, got a question from online but obviously i think you said you'd answer it in future uh are there prophets today oh, okay what is the gift of prophecy okay yeah yeah we'll do that in the new testament now okay so uh that's the period that he's ministering during the reign of these kings there is a jewish tradition that um he's related uh, well amos was related to one of the jewish kings and that means, if you jump over to chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. Uh, so he's, he's very broken about the death of Uzziah. And the theory goes is that Uzziah was probably his cousin. Okay, so, but again, we, that's not gospel, but uh, it's an ancient tradition um the the literature the literature is is very beautiful um it's mostly poetry as you can see it's got the scansion the indentations like you would see in the psalms um and we also saw that in job remember so very beautiful literature so isaiah is is uh, very very educated let me just jump in here if you read some some commentaries um and especially liberal commentaries, they don't actually say that there is uh, one Isaiah that is responsible for all the whole book. Okay. Um, some of them will have first Isaiah, and then they'll have Deutero Isaiah, and some will have Trito Isaiah. Um, and the reason for this is that here... His prophecies span 
different eras. Okay, so he he even talks much later on about the Babylonian exile. So remember, when's the Babylonian exile? The Babylonian exile is uh, 586 BC. So, a hundred years later. But he talks as though it's something that's happened, and he talks about the restoration from that. He talks about Cyrus. He even mentions Cyrus by name. Uh, remember, Cyrus is the one who allows the Israelites to go back to, to Jerusalem. The decree of Cyrus. Remember, we saw that at the end of Chronicles and the beginning of Ezra. The decree of Cyrus, that they can go back. He mentions Cyrus by name. And so people say, well, you know, they deny the supernatural. So they say, well, obviously he couldn't have predicted that. So the book of Isaiah is a compilation over centuries by different groups. And so we just give it the name. So these chapters from this point to this point and this point to this point are written by you know, the first guy or his group, because he does talk about his disciples. And then the next group of disciples did this bit and then this bit. And it just ended up under one book. Uh, now, again, if God chose to do it that way, that's fine. God, God can do what he likes. That's not the problem. The reason is, it's a problem is because if you're trying to get rid of the supernatural, that's a problem. Hey? Um, can God, you know, tell us what's going to happen in the future? Yeah, of course. Um, we, we don't even... Uh, I heard something today which I thought was kind of helpful, not to call it prediction even, because it's not as though God is predicting what's going to happen in the future. He's ordained what's going to happen. He's not like, oh, I can see, I predict that this will <laughs> he, uh, the, the The person used this analogy. When you start a course at university, the lecturer will give you the syllabus and say, this is what we're going to do. That's more what the, the prophets are doing. God is saying, this is what's going to happen. Okay? Mm. I'm not predicting it. I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. Okay? Um, this is the syllabus for <laughs> world history. Um, uh, a problem with it, just to, if you're ever in a situation um, where, where maybe someone's arguing for this, just to give you um, how to refute it, uh, we find that uh, there are sections. Uh, there are sections in the New Testament from quotations from all these three sections, and every time they will attribute it to Isaiah. They won't say, you know, it's some other group or something like that. Um, in fact, there are sixty-six chapters in Isaiah. Uh, there are quotations from 47 of the 66 chapters in the New Testament. Okay. So it shows you how important Isaiah is or was to the, early, the, the, the New Testament church. It is very messianic. Um, it is, is, is full of Christ. Uh, just to give you another example, if you turn to John chapter 12, Verse 37, 
Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. That's the Lord Jesus. So that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's a quotation from Isaiah 53, so much later in Isaiah. Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, so notice he says Isaiah said, Isaiah said, now he quotes from chapter 6. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And then this amazing verse, verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Whose glory did he see? Jesus. Jesus. When did he see Jesus? If you're familiar with Isaiah. What do you mean when? When? Like in 742 BC. <laughs> <laughs> when in the Bible? When in, I, in the book of Isaiah? Chapter 6. Chapter 6, yes. <laughs> so here yeah, we, we have the New Testament telling us, because remember we, we, one of the arguments and one of the hopefully uh, new things or unpacking of this truth is that Christ is present all the way through the Bible. Okay? He didn't just appear in the Gospels and then we learn about him. He's, he's always been active. We've seen him with Joshua. We've seen him with Moses in the wilderness, uh, at the rock. Uh, we, we're seeing him all the time. We saw him in Genesis with Jacob wrestling with Christ. So again, the New Testament says, who was it that Isaiah saw? Jesus. Okay, so Jesus was there. That was Jesus that he, he sees in, in chapter 6. So uh, before we get there, let's, uh, let's um, go back. So we know a little bit about him. We know some of the dates of Isaiah. So that we know when he, he prophesied. We know that he was married. And um, he was married to a prophetess. Okay, so it's pretty handy, I guess. They were in the same... Same line of work. Um, Pastor Michael. Yes. You said that he did have prophets, so um, oh, disciples. So yes. how did that work? Um, so he is. He tells. He his writings are taken and and hidden, and the scrolls are sealed and to be opened later on. So by his disciples. So I think it's chapter. Uh, 29, I think. 29. But they weren't prophets themselves. Um, no, no, I don't think so. Um, okay, he has two two sons that we know of. And uh, their names we, we uh, are given to us in um, the, the longest name in the Bible, the one, unfor- unfortunately for him. Um, so the first son is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out to meet Ahaz, you and 
Shia Jashub, your son. And his name means a remnant shall return. Okay. And then chapter 8, verse 3. Uh, and I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Mm-hmm. So there you see his wife. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Okay? So that's his, his name. Um, and that... Um, I think that that sort of means... Uh, when it comes, it'll come quickly sort of thing um, mm. along those lines. But again, it has to do with uh, with Israel. So that's just so, you know a little bit of extra information about him. Um, okay, so the, the let's let's jump into the book now. Question. Yes. So um, okay, according to this. Uh, can like woman be prophetess? Yes, yes. Okay. So um, uh, we we have we have uh, in the New Testament as well. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Um, How, uh, okay. No, I, yeah, maybe it's just my knowledge. I haven't heard of. Yeah, it's not common, okay. but but um, they, they they are. Yeah, they were. Um, I'm trying to think. Pete, yeah, Deborah, and then Pete is a Peter's daughter, was a, a prophetess, if I remember correctly, in the New Testament. So you can remember that. Um, okay, so uh, I remember when we break down books, that's not inspired when we give a breakdown of you know to this chapter to this chapter so um it's just sort of what you think makes the most sense but um um the one way to do it is chapters uh, one through six um is like an introduction <clears throat> all the themes of of judgment and then hope there's sort of three cycles through this section going through judgment and hope judgment and hope judgment and hope and it's really almost preparing us for the whole book so it's sort of on a smaller scale Uh, then 7 through 39 that broadly deals with the Assyrian crisis uh, the Assyrian Empire is on the rise. So let me let me write this down if anyone wants to have it. Uh, one through six is like an introduction with uh, cycles of uh, judgment and restoration. Then seven through thirty-nine is the Assyrian crisis, which we'll unpack all of this just now. Um, within that, there are the oracles of judgment on the nations. Okay. Uh, and then 40 through 55, it's the uh, 
Babylonian uh, exile and deliverance. Um, and then 56 to 66 is um, after the return from exile, the promise of a new heaven and earth, and, and then also judgment for those who are not part of it. Okay. So that's broad strokes. You could break it up more. There are different ways. Some people take 1, one through 12, because in fact the first scroll was 1 through 12, um, and there's nothing wrong with doing it that way either, 1 through 12. Um, as I said, these are not inspired, but most people, pretty much everyone will agree, 1 through 39, and then 40-something new begins, there is, there is hope. Okay, 40 through 66. Um, okay, so, uh, let's see. Um, one of the, the things that the prophets do is, as I said, they're lawyers, but they're on behalf of God. They're also calling Israel and the nations at different times to come to the courtroom. Okay. So you must think in, in a legal setting. Okay. Israel and the nations, we're in trouble. Okay. And God is going to bring his case. And um, the, the imagery that is used, because if you think about it, okay, well, uh, if... Um, if I say, okay, Duncan did this, and I accuse him of it, uh, in, in Israel's sort of judicial system, what evidence do you need that he did it? You need a, a witness. Okay, so witnesses must be brought forward. So who is God going to bring forward as witnesses? So what he does is he calls on creation. Okay, so look at verse 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So you will find this language in these different court scenes where God is calling the heavens and the earth and the mountains to bear witness. Um, they come as the witnesses to condemn the people, the nations, for their, for their sin, for not obeying God. Okay, okay so um, as you... Yes. So is that um, a literal thing? Is there any literal um, evidence that the that creation bears of the people's sin? For instance, the damage that is caused to it, or maybe God's wrath causing like earthquakes and stuff? Or is it just completely figurative that they've seen the people committing these sins? Yes, I think I I think it's figurative, um, but it's a it it is interesting that that there is a, there is definitely a connection because um, the, the the land will also you know people are exiled from the land and there's so there is a there is a sense in which creation does. Um, is affected obviously by our sin and by our evil and um, 
the sort of people, the language where people are vomited out of the land. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, but I, th- I don't, you know, I don't think there's literal, the, the mountain speaking or something like that mm-hmm. to say, but... Um, In th- these passages, it's just very, it's just figurative. It's very figurative, but um, that there are obviously effects that we should see as human beings to say um, in our lives, in our bodies, in our environments that are bearing witness to our sin uh, and, and are showing that we're, we're broken and we're sinning and so we need to repent. Malibongi um, Online recalls Anna in Luke 2 as a prophetess as well. Ah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that's correct, yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay, so, um, they, Israel, it, it, Isaiah here goes through a sort of litany of sins. So to start off with, they are spiritually ignorant. Notice what the Lord says. Verse uh, 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Okay. Um, This is just, as you go through the prophets, um, because we think of, because there's judgment, we think, we can think, oh, God is, you know, it's always judging people. But you need to see it as, and the prophets will bring out this language, you know, of, um, Israel is his bride. He found her when she was naked and a baby and alone and in her own blood and left forsaken. And he took her and he raised her and bought her beautiful jewelry and clothing and cared for her. And and then she went off and played the harlot. Or here, mm-hmm. as a as a um, his people, his son that he took and delivered out of Egypt and cared for and protected and gave good laws to and gave a land to and gave all these blessings and they kept on rebelling against him and rebelling against him and turning to false gods and so his heart is to to speak certainly god feels pain and and is hurt by this um and eventually the point comes well the only thing that's left is judgment Okay, so you need to see it like this. My people, they don't, even animals behave better than this, he's saying, you know. Um, but my own people that I, I delivered, they reject me, yes. So the prophets, um, Paul 17, they came at a time where, like, the, the nation of Israel was in its bad era. It, it wasn't a case of, like, 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 like what we covered before, like, yes, they kept on, um, like, slipping up and messing up and rebelling, but they still sort of, like, knew God. Um, no, it's pretty... This was, this it's, was bad. It's pretty bleak all okay. the way through. Okay. <laughs> Remember we saw with the, the northern kingdom, there's no good kings. Okay. Um, so some of the prophets are, are, are focused more on the northern kingdom. Um, it doesn't mean, remember, there's always a remnant we even saw with uh, the name of the first son. God always has his people. Okay. There are always those who are faithful to him. But uh, at times, it's very few people. Okay. Okay? We even saw with Elijah and Elisha, because those were also prophets mm, yeah. as well. 
Um, so, um, but it, but yes, when a prophet comes, it's not good. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, if you're, if you're, if you're seeking to obey the Lord, um, it's not ideal when a prophet comes, although, you know, they often come to help as well mm. and to deliver. Um, okay. So they're spiritually ignorant. They despise God. Um, uh, verse four, they forsaken God. They are they ha- they are violent. Verse fifteen. Uh, their hands are full of blood. Um, they they oppress. There is social injustice. Uh, they um, verse seventeen tells them to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. There is there are lawless rulers. Verse twenty three: Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Uh, they trust in man. Chapter two, verse twenty two: Stop regarding man, in whose nostrils is breath. For what of what account is he? So really, the fear of man. Hey? looking for the praise of man. Uh, Verse 8, their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. There's idolatry. Uh, Chapter 3, there's proud and immodest woman. Verse 16, the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, that's proud, and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet, uh, sort of the idea, if you've seen like supermodels on the catwalk, okay, mm-hmm. that sort of idea of absolute arrogance and looking down on others and prancing along. Uh, so the Lord says, therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion. And then he says, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. Remember, when um, I was another one of my other classes. Uh, so this is a common theme that the Lord will say, he will strip them naked. Bring shame upon them, um, upon Israel. Um, yeah, and you can read there the rest of those verses all the way through because it talks about all their jewelry and their perfumes and everything that will be stripped away from them. Um, now, the issue isn't you know jewelry, perfume, or clothing because when we read elsewhere, that's what the Lord gives mm-hmm. to Israel. That's how He makes her beautiful, and um, it's that. It's love of self, and they reject God. Okay. Um, uh, chapter 5, verse 22. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink. So drunkenness. Um, um, and then they've rejected God's law. Now, if you look at verse... so. This is just to show you, give you a little, a little, little taste, a little flavor of what's going on. This is what the culture has become. Mm. Now, I mean, it sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> it's human, human beings, um, corrupt, violent, uh, immoral. Uh, but in the midst, there's there's uh, sections of that God will have mercy and God will save. 
but go to chapter 5, verse 8. Woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room. So uh, this was a warning um, against buying up all the land. So taking advantage of people who are in financial difficulty and you would just buy up all the land. So monopolies. Because remember, the land belonged to God and he had given it to the tribes and in the year of Jubilee, you had to give it back. Okay, But these were people who were not doing that. Then verse 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Okay, So there's a second woe. Remember, woe is... It's like a curse. Verse 18, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of falsehood, who draw sin as with card ropes. Um, so they're given to sin. Verse 20, the fourth woe, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Very interesting. That's especially when you um, watch, watch movies or um, read books or anything like that. Watch out for that. That's quite an interesting thing because one of the main tests of whether it's worthwhile is do they, do they still have a sense of right and wrong? Mm. But a lot of movies will glorify, will glorify immorality. Mm. Um, they will, they will um, turn, you know, they'll say that you know, this person was brave enough to rebel against their parents and sleep around, mm. you know. Instead of saying, well, this person's dishonoring their parents, mm. they're calling evil good. Okay, So uh, there's a fifth woe, a fourth woe, sorry, a fifth woe, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. So proud, verse 21 and then 22, we've re read al already. Woe to those who are heroes of drinking. How many woes are there? Six. One, two, three, four, five, six. 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 Okay, and that, that's not the perfect number, is it? Okay. Seven is. So we're missing a woe. Okay. Uh, it comes in chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Um, I think it's R.C. Sproul says the creatures were, are anatomically designed to be in the presence of God. Okay. Um, that they have these six wings, they cover their faces, um, they can't look upon him, he's too, too magnificent. Uh, they're able to fly and then they cover their feet because they're in the presence of, of God, who's holy. And they call to one another and they say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. So it's this very powerful, it's only a few verses, but it's a powerful, powerful picture. His train fills the temple. So his train, the train of his robe. Um, so... We normally see that at weddings where the bride will wear a, a longer sort of train, a, a veil. I remember, shows how old I am, watching Princess Charles and Princess Diana's wedding. And 
Um, then they had those cameras high up. I mean, she had a super long train. Mm. Okay. But the idea here is that it's, it's a symbol of power and majesty for a man, for a king with his robe. Okay. Um, it's also interesting because he's saying, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. But the more he explains it, the more you think he didn't really see the Lord clearly because no man can see God and live. Notice that the, the train of his robe is filling the temple. Then there's smoke. Uh, so it's, it's he sees something of the glory of God, but he doesn't fully see God. So does no one fully see God? Um, well, remember Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And at the transfiguration, we get a glimpse, but not in his unfiltered majesty. We will have glorified bodies that will be able to do that, um, to see God and live. And we'll be pure as well. No, when you go and read it, remember, he's, he hides him. He says, oh, you can't see me, but I'll show you my goodness. And so he sees the back of him. And, but remember, God is a spirit. So, um, But, you, you know, for sinful people to come into the presence of a holy God who just be incinerated. Um, so there is sort of these filters so that... Isaiah can live. And what does Isaiah do? Woe is me. There's the seventh woe. Um, Woe, woe, woe. You know, you can see a prophet proclaiming woe on everyone. And then he comes into the presence of God. And he's, the language is amazing because he says, um, for I am lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Does anyone have a different translation there? Verse 5. Woe is me, for I am ruined. Ruined. Some translations say undone. You know, that's... It's, it's like I'm coming apart at the seams. I'm falling apart. I'm like undone. I'm ruined. I'm lost. I'm lost. I'm just... I'm, it's a... It's a... It's such a... He's in the presence of the Holy God, and now he realizes his sin. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Um, what's, why would he say unclean lips? Why doesn't he say unclean hands? Or would, Just think of what the Bible says about... Yeah, what, what does Jesus say about our mouths? They're linked to our hearts. They're linked to our hearts. Huh? Remember that? Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth <clears throat> speaks. So he's, he was probably a godly Jew. So he, you know, he probably didn't commit sexual immorality. He probably didn't murder anyone. Uh, it's interesting, Paul seems to do the same thing in, in, in Romans as well. He, Romans 10 he goes for the tongue. The mouths are like open graves. And because, again, a religious person, if a lot of people in church, if you pick on those sort of sins, will be like, yeah, yeah, preach it, brother. Preach it. <laughs> Get those bad people. But to see if we're honest with our tongues, who can say, I've never lied. I've never said anything nasty or cruel to anyone. I've never cursed anyone. Um... 
No one, no one can say that. No one can say everything out of my mouth has been pure and beautiful and good. Um, who hasn't, you know, and that's what, and James has a lot to say about that. What our mouth reveals is in our heart. Okay? Mm-hmm. The ugliness of our hearts, the, 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 you know, hatred or bitterness or anger or selfishness or, you know, being passive aggressive and all of those things. So he realizes in the presence of God, I am a man of unclean lips, okay, which my heart is unclean. Um, I'm undone. Um, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And that's really what, you know, salvation is. It's, this is like his conversion and his calling altogether that he. You, you, you know, we have to come to that place. It won't always be as dramatic as Isaiah, but there must be that place where you realize I'm undone. There's no, notice he doesn't say, but it's my parents' fault because, you know, the way they raised me. <laughs> or, but yeah, it's the king and the government and uh, I'm undone. I'm just, I'm a man of unclean lips. Um, it's absolute realization. It's me. Okay. And, and so, you know, Salvation is seeing the Lord, okay? to know the Lord. And when you know him, you know your sin. And, and then there's this picture of his salvation. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Okay, and that's what the Lord does. He cleans us. Okay. Uh, our sins are taken away. Um, we are atoned for. And now he is given a mission. Okay. That's the same for every Christian. We're broken and undone in the presence of God, but he forgives us. And now he says, I've got work for you to do. Okay. So it's not to stay in a pity party. Oh, I'm so terrible and useless. and just No, I've saved you and I've forgiven you. Now I've got work for you to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Not that we're all called to be... <laughs> Isaiah, but every Christian is called to, you know, he didn't, God doesn't save us just so we don't have to go to hell. Mm. The scriptures say he saved us for good works. He saved us to, to do things. So, um, he's now commissioned to go. And, um, and then the Lord says to him, verse nine, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Um, it's it's very strange, and it's very it's quoted by in the Gospels frequently, and um, this whole idea of seeing but not perceiving, hearing um, but not understanding, very very important. Um, it's a it's a <clears throat> what it is is it's a God. If people will continue to reject his truth, um, he will establish them or affirm them in that. Okay. So you see that even in Romans, God hands people over. So eventually he will give you, you don't want to listen, you don't want to understand, you don't want to hear, well then you won't hear. Um, and so even the parables, most people think the parables uh, so that people could understand. But if you go and read, it's because they keep rejecting Jesus and eventually we're told 
From that time forth, Jesus only spoke in parables so that seeing they would not perceive and hearing they would not understand. So the parables are not given so, oh, that's so nice of Jesus. He's giving us pictures so we can understand better. It's the opposite. It's so that people who are not believers will not understand. Okay. Um, yes? Question from online, Money One Way. Uh, when the prophets spoke, was their speech dictated by the Lord, like word for word, or on what uh, to say, or was it based on what they recalled helped, slash helped by the Holy Spirit to remember, especially when giving warnings and what we see in chapter 6, verse 9? Yeah, good question. So definitely it's the, their own words, because every prophet has their own personality and style. If it was just um, dictation from God, it would all sound exactly the same and would override their own personality and character. Whereas each prophet has definitely see that. You can see that even in the New Testament, the authors of the New Testament. So it is them. Um, there is one, some, some of the, 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 the rabbis and the Old Testament Jews thought that the, the, the prophets sort of had access to the divine counsel. So we do have, I think there's one situation where that happens. So almost where God is talking to the angels and telling them, okay, this is what's going to happen. This is what I want to do. The prophets had access to that and they could hear and then they would come and speak that. But that's not well attested. We just sort of have one example of that. Um, the, the writer of Hebrews says God at times past spoke in different ways. And so when you go through, sometimes the prophets will have a dream. Sometimes they'll have a vision. Sometimes all they're doing is bringing what, what God had said in Deuteronomy to bear. They're not, but it is under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but they're simply proclaiming, you know, when, when it says, you know, woe to those who get drunk, that's, you don't need a special revelation for that in, in that sense. You don't need to be lifted up into heaven and like, and like, it's, that, we know that's wrong, that's a sin. Uh, and so with, it's wrong to be violent. It's like, you know, all of these things. So, um, but again, it's, they are called by God and gifted by God to, to do this. So, okay, I just want to finish this quickly. Then we can have, take a break. Um, so it sounds rough. Uh, people will hear, they won't perceive, all of these things. Um, verse 11, and I said, how long, O Lord? How long is this going to happen that people hear but nothing happens? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the law and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So we have mentioned now about holy seed and the stump. So you need to, he's talking about the images sort of of a forest being cut down and burnt. And so may, maybe you've seen um, um, you know, forests like that and you just see the stump sticking out the ground. And um, uh, when we bought this, this house, I had to cut down quite a few trees and there were stumps. And even to this day, some of these stumps will get a little shoot. And that will, that's what will, 
we'll find. We'll find this, this offspring of Jesse. So that Israel will, will seem to be decimated, taken off to a foreign land. That's the exile. Mm. And destroyed as though there's no hope. And then we'll read, but there's going to be a little offshoot. Okay. The descendant of Jesse. Who's the descendant of Jesse? David, and then ultimately Christ. Okay. And that, and of course, if you leave that little stump, it'll grow into a full tree eventually. Okay. And so it seems, it's going to seem to be hopeless, total destruction, total devastation, but in the midst of that, there will be a, a shoot. And that's the Messiah who will, who will come. That sort of sets the theme for the whole book. And that's the story of the whole book, actually. Uh, now we're just going to un- flesh it out a bit in the next session. Okay, so let's, let's break there. Cool, guys. We've got 15 minutes. Uh...